Welcome to Growing Through Grief. I'm your host, Diana Curtis. Growing Through Grief is a weekly sprinkle of education and inspiration to help you take action that leads to personal freedom and greatness. I share powerful conversations with grief experts, spiritual advisors, and other courageous souls in this transformational podcast. I believe with the right support and the power of community, you can eliminate unnecessary prolonged grief. I'm here to teach you how to normalize, recognize, and use grief as a growth tool. I've been a champion for growth for decades since the loss of my mother. Together, we are growing. I'll give you weekly tips and small steps that will move the needle forward so that you are experiencing a healthy inner relationship with yourself. Let's get started. So hello, beautiful souls. Welcome back to the Growing Through Grief podcast. I'm your host, Diana Curtis. So today we will be talking about lies and identity confusion and how grief might show up in that space, especially when you don't know all of the DNA that you carry. You don't know who you are when it comes to both of your parents. Yep, you might want to go ahead and get your pen and paper and reflect during this conversation. We're not just talking at you. We're talking with you. So what's the big lie that you've been carrying around? Maybe all of your life? You know, you know you need to unpack the lies and the deceit so that you can live the life that you were created to live. Unlock those gifts inside of you so you can connect with the people you're supposed to connect with. So you can connect with all of your people, not just some of them, right? So that you will have a better understanding of why you feel different from those that you were raised with. You know you need to shine the light on those lives. You know doing so will change your life forever. You know that all ch- we all know that change is not, doesn't always feel good, but stay, staying the same doesn't feel good either. Regardless, you may be afraid to pull back the layers of lies and deceit you know exists. You might not have enough facts like me. You don't know for a fact that what you were told about your parents is a lie. That would be me. Yet, you know something is different. The people around you not only look a little different, but they think and they behave differently. You begin to question yourself and who you really are. Now, Today, we're talking about the lies that you may have been told about your blood relatives, about your DNA. Is that you? Honestly, I think we're all carrying around some lies inside of us, right? It may not be around your identity yet. It's still a lie. So today, my guest is going to share a story of her self-exploration that led her to freedom. A story that started with lies, racism, identity confusion, unworthiness that led to her healing. My guest is Dr. Naima. She's a doctor of chiropractic. She's the owner of the Elevate Family Chiropractic LLC. 
She's also the founder of Elevate Now, a podcast where she championed women to pursue their passions and give practical advice and resources. She's also an author. She wrote her memoir, Raised as a Lie, which chronicle the true experiences that I just described, racism, identity, worthiness, trauma, and ultimately led to her healing. It is her greatest desire that little brown girls, adult brown girls, and those who have ever felt invisible or those who are struggling with unworthiness will now have the courage to stand up within their vulnerability to realize they are worthy of every damn thing. Welcome, Dr. Naima. It is so good to be here, Diana. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited about this conversation we're about to have. Yes, I am too. And we've already had some very pointed, juicy (laughs) conversation prior to getting on the microphone. So now that we're on the microphone, did I leave anything out when introducing you? Because I noticed, and I was sharing with you, there's just something about chiropractors. And I know we're not talking about that, but there's just something about chiropractors that brings such light, such ease, such warmth, such comfort. And the smile is just contagious. Yeah, Yeah, I would absolutely agree. I think that when I joined the world of chiropractic, it wasn't until I was 38 and really, truly felt like I had another extension of my tribe. Uh, We had been married since I was 23. We had three children. We had been living very holistically. All three of my children uh, were born at home with midwives and we really, truly embodied a healthy, holistic, natural lifestyle. And when we were introduced to a chiropractor, when our oldest, who was 13 at the time, had injured himself, and I did not have any idea like you, I just was clueless about chiropractic and it just never even you know, sort of crossed my mental awareness. And when it did, I was a little bit surprised. And then I was shocked that we had spent all of this time, you know, at that point, I'm 38 years old. I had never understood what it meant that your brain needs to be connected to your body to be 100% healthy, that your brain is the master control system and everything runs through your spinal cord. And it only made sense when someone first explained it to me that if the bones that are protecting your spinal cord are misaligned, then they're putting pressure and creating irritation and interference between the communication from the brain to the body. And wouldn't it make sense then to remove the interference, to remove the 
the misalignments so that your brain could communicate to your body fully and that your body could express its fullest potential and its fullest health. Like that just made sense. Like for me, it's one plus one equals two every day of the week and twice on Sunday. There's never a time that that does not apply. Gravity applies no matter what. We're hanging out on this big rock called earth and gravity (laughs) applies to us. And the same physical laws apply to how our bodies are the healthiest and how they fundamentally work and operate as self-healing organisms. And I was so moved by it and so moved by my son's healing that I literally changed the trajectory of my own career and my own life path. And I went to chiropractic school and that was 14 years ago. Best decision ever. Because as those chiropractors that helped my son gave us back hope, I now get the opportunity every single day to sit in front of families and help and to help that healing process, help facilitate that in all of the people that we serve every day. And that's such a blessing. I I truly consider myself extremely blessed to have that opportunity. Beautiful, beautiful. Yes, it will certainly be part of my wellness plan, my health plan going forward. And I agree. Well, I know from personal experience that no one really ever shared with me. Well, you know, you need to add this to your self-care plan, your health care plan. And I always thought that I don't have any back issues. Well, really, Diana, you know, because we go through things in life and that jacks up our nervous system. You're right. And that's all connected to the brain. All of it is working together. So I am so happy to meet you and be on this podcast with you, even though we're not talking necessarily about chiropractic. I thank you for bringing that information, that insight to the listeners. Yeah, absolutely. I I think it is so powerful. And the wonderful thing is, is that once you know something, you can't ever go back to not knowing it, right? So one of the challenges is that faces us as as human beings is we are limited by the choices that are presented to us based off of our awareness of them, right? Because we live in an un limited universe, right? There's just potential beyond potential. But if we aren't aware of it, we can't actually see the that we have choices and options, we can't exercise them, right? So once you know that there are healthy alternatives to drugs and surgery with no side effects that just allow and work with your body's own healing process, I think just like one plus one equals two, it just makes the most sense for us to be able to explore that. And so for you and I to be having this conversation, then your listeners now go from an unaware state to now they're fully informed and then they can go out and seek out chiropractors that are in their area so that they have options for themselves and their families. Beautiful. Well said. So moving into, I mentioned that you are an author and you wrote 
your memoir, Race as a Lie, I also asked the listeners to begin to think about what lie or lies <laughs> that are just kind of percolating inside of them. I think we all have some form of lies that we're carrying, whether to protect ourselves or to protect our loved ones. So that's exactly what your book is about. So two questions before you get into, if you would, please unpack the lie for us and share how it led to your healing. But before that, why now? Why is it so important for you to tell this story now? Mm, Such great questions. I know that each one of us has a calling on our life, that each one of us has an assignment, if not multiple assignments. My belief system is that the world has nothing for us, that we have everything for the world, that it is our job, our responsibility to bring forth the gifts that we were blessed with into the world, and that there are people that are waiting for your gifts, for you to birth your gifts, because it's only you that can do that in your own unique way. And to the degree that we say no, or we shy away, or we live small, and we don't bless the world, I think that we ultimately start to implode, right? That there are things that happen within ourselves where we we're not living that fully joyful life that we feel burdened or weighted down and just like in the body ultimately at some point that's going to come all the way to the forefront and it's going to make itself known right you ignore your health long enough and your health will go away right i believe that and then you know, speaking of health, you spend how much of your life, time, energy, money trying to regain that health, right? It's far easier, you know, to grow healthy humans than to fix, you know, sick adults, right? And so I think that the same works emotionally for us. And why now is when I was 49, two years ago, I had a complete meltdown, emotional meltdown. And it was over a a relationship uh, ending. And I could not imagine had you told me six months before it happened that I would be laying on the floor of the practice that I built in a complete shamble, feeling shattered, broken, drowning in equal parts of tears and snot, and really, truly feeling unable to get up because some man walked out. And I would have 100% denied that and, and give a litany of reasons and examples of things that I had overcome in my life. So that clearly could not happen to me. I had built all of these sort of walls around my heart. And I had survived so much. And I believe that in in your lifetime, for every experience that you have, for every challenge that you have, for every time you raise your hand and say you want something more from life, that you 
make your position yourself to be challenged and then you survive that challenge and then you thrive because of that challenge and you become stronger. I believed at 49 that I was impervious to a meltdown. And that's exactly what happened though. And in my recovery, in my piecing back the, the, the parts of me, there was this revelation that I was carrying around a bunch of childhood trauma. And if I did not deal with it, it was going to have such a monumental impact in my life that I knew that it was either now or I lived the rest of my life regretting it. And so I started that healing process and that healing process ended up becoming a book and a a memoir and something that I'm extremely proud of. Yeah. And what resonated with me was to make sure that the listeners don't miss this, that yes, some of that pain that when you were in that fetal position, some of that pain was about the man walking out, right? But you also said there was some childhood stuff There was some childhood, adverse childhood experiences that was ready to come up because the body is not a storage container. As you said, it's coming up. It can come up as a disease in your body. It can come up as a rash. It's coming up, people. (laughs) It's coming up. So it was not only about the man leaving and the heartbreak around that, but that activated other parts of you that needed to be healed. So ladies, listen to that. We make it all about the man. The man was there to activate, to help us grow. Men are there to help us grow. Our family members are there to help us grow. So thank you for that. I want to make sure that the listeners didn't miss that. Yeah, Yeah. I, I agree. I think my belief is that we all come into each other's lives for specific purposes. And however long that season lasts, there are lessons to be learned and people, you know, hold up mirrors for us so that they can reflect us back to ourselves. And we have opportunities there. And if you choose to grow and evolve, I think that it is something that is truly going to require you to dig deep. I think that our ego stays in place and doesn't allow us to do the emotional work necessary if we let it run the show. And I had been letting my ego run the show for quite some time. And I thought, to your point, that when that man walked out, that my grief, true sorrow, was about me not believing I could live without him. And here's the truth. It was never about him. He was simply the catalyst so that I could wake up to the reality that I had been shoving a bunch of childhood pain under a rug for so long, it had become a mountain and it was living in the middle of my life. And I dare not take the rug off and expose that pain because what I thought was that I would be unable to continue in my life as I was. 
But here's the point. I wasn't supposed to continue as I was. I was supposed to evolve, break down, completely remove all of the the things I've been holding so desperately onto so that I could truly heal. Like when people say, oh, I want to put the pieces back together. No, you don't. You don't want to do that. You want to let those pieces fall to the ground because those are the things that you didn't need anymore. They served you. Like we can live in a state of gratitude and we can say, thank you. Thank you for that grief. Thank you for that pain. Thank you for that experience. Thank you for that joy. Whatever the experience is, you can be grateful for it because it brought you the things that you needed up until that moment. But then in order for you to get to the next level, to your next iteration, to the next version of who you are destined to become, which is already all inside of us to begin with, we have to let some things go. Right. Shrek in um, the cartoon said that ogres are like onions and we got to peel them back. I believe that we as humans are 100 percent these emotional beings that we have to peel back these layers to truly reveal what is inside of us and what our true potential is. Yes. Beautiful. Beautiful. I love that you said put the pieces back together. Really? We don't want those pieces. (laughs) We moving on, right? We're elevating ourselves. We're elevating our life. So yeah, that moves me, us into the second part of the question, the book. And unpack the lies, some of the lies for us. So the title of the book is Provocative Intentionally. The cover of the book is Provocative Intentionally. I needed my own metaphor, metamorphosis to reveal the magnitude of the story in my life. What does that mean? For so long, I had normalized my life and my experience much in the way that most of us do. If you live in a place that's cold, guess what? When it's winter time, it's just cold. That's your norm. You you realize and you acclimate to that and you adjust accordingly. You don't think, oh my gosh, it's so whatever because it's cold. That's just your norm. And so for me, as a little brown girl that grew up in an all-white family and I lived in all-white neighborhoods and went to all-white schools, my norm was being the outsider. My norm was always wanting to fit in into and to belong. And ultimately, I lived my life feeling invisible, not feeling seen. And when I was seen, it wasn't celebrated. It was sort of tolerated. I have very thick curly hair. My entire, all the girls in my family have straight hair, most of them blonde, some brunette. And my hair was referred to as the mop, right? And I, because my mother was white, y'all know I had some bad hair years. There was not bad hair days. It was bad hair years. And I grew up hating my hair and not loving myself. 
because every time it was time to do my hair between my mom and my grandmother or my aunts, right? Or cousins, like it was always an issue, right? And so for me, living in this way, when I finally decide to, decided to tell my story, I needed to tell it in a way that it honored the experience for me, because this is my story. It is not the story. It's my story because all of the other family members that were living this in the same, having this uh, a connected experience, they have all different versions of this story, right? But this is my story. And, and what I wanted to lend is honoring of my experience. And so I wanted it to be very provocative. I didn't find out who my father was until I was almost 18. And that only came because I was threatened with a hate crime and I didn't understand what was happening and why, because my entire life, I was told that I too was white. Now, all you had to do was look at me and for a second, you'd realize like, who's the one that doesn't fit in? That's me. <laughs> I don't fit in. But if you don't have language for that, if you didn't have, you don't have experience, it wasn't like we lived around black people. It wasn't like I went to school with black folk. Like that, that just was, it wasn't a thing. Like I was walking around going, mm, I'm probably black. Like that <laughs> never happened. Like my family was in full denial and this was, you know, the early seventies. And so this, you know, we live in a country for which that was equally, if not more intolerant, right. Than the world that we live in will definitely more intolerant than the world that we live in now. But there were some things that were just so taboo. And, you know, I, I jokingly say that Italians uh, do denial well, right. My, my mom's side of the family that I was raised on is Italian and, and just very, (laughs) very, oh, that's the elephant in the middle of the room. Yeah, we're not going to acknowledge that. We're not going to talk about that. And we just didn't ever, never, not one time. People are like, oh, what? not one time. There was never an acknowledgement until I was nearly 18. And then my mother could not go on continuing with the lie because my life was being threatened. And so she had to have a conversation and and that turned my world upside down and then just like how i had been raised up until that point i soldiered on i shoved it all under the rug and kept it moving and kept it pushing and acted as if because everybody else in my family wasn't talking about it it was like yeah that was the thing that happened but we're not going to talk about that anymore until it all came to a head when I'm laying on the ground on my practice when I'm 49, right? Sometimes it takes that long. (laughs) Are you feeling invisible? Are you sliding through life feeling hopeless and wishing someone would come along and save you? Is it time to stop wishing and time to get busy living life? creating what you desire, living a victorious life of fulfillment in a community with other compassionate hearts, healing, growing, transforming into your greatest potential. 
Sign up now for the next course, Growing Through Grief System, a holistic and compassionate approach to limitless growth and healing. Visit www.coachingtotheheart.org to learn more. Celebrate yourself, your life, and your legacy. We are growth seekers, mastering the game of life and creating a different reality beyond grief and loss. Yes, so the story as you were speaking, even though it's not, my story is not identical to yours, there were a part of me losing mom at age three that I too felt like an outsider, Um, didn't fit in, not seen, not heard. I was cared for, I was taken care of, but not celebrated because there was something unique and different about myself, period, compared to my other siblings. So it's just another way to look at, and I know what that feels like, those feelings of abandonment, isolation, aloneness. Yeah. Hmm. And even in the midst of that, for me, there were so much of wanting to still fit in And honestly, I chose attachment versus authenticity. Mm. Go along to get along. So there were parts of me that I was just, as you said, we push it down because I wanted to fit in with my brothers and sisters. We're all melanated skin, people of color, but there's so many layers. So it could look so many different ways. Brene Brown says that the opposite, according to all the research that she's done for, I think, nearly two decades, all of the research for belonging identifies that the opposite of belonging is fitting in. And for the, and for the longest time, I didn't understand what it was that she meant, but If you work to fit in, you then are denying yourself. You're not belonging because belonging never asks you to fit in. Fitting in means that you're giving up something that is intricate in your own personality and your own character to then be a part of a group, you know, a team, what have you. But that's not true belonging. And listening to what you just said, like you, like me, wanted so desperately to fit in. And in that desire, we're willing to do just about anything, especially as little people, right? Like, you know, we are social creatures and we know as herd animals, like instinctually, we know that you've got to be part of the tribe. Being outside of the the village means death, right? Now, today, it's just a a bit of a social death, right? It's not the literal um, sense that once upon a time, you know, that it was. But what that represents for us as young people is can be devastating in our hearts because we feel like we're on the outside. And, And I thought that that was so ironic that 
that you had similar experience, right? That this is such a common thread that I think that so many of us share. So I'm looking at you, Dr. Naima, and I'm looking at your gorgeous, beautiful hair. Thank you. You talked about your hair and how it was a challenge to those who had different hair. (laughs) You didn't cut your hair off. It's still there. So how did you come to embrace? I mean, the Bible talks about the hair is our crown and our glory. How did you come to, you said you hated that part of you. I believe you said your hair. When did the shift come? How did you just say, hey, this is part of my beauty. <laughs> quick, quick story. My mom was a DIYer before DIY was even a thing. Long before Joanna Gaines ever came on the scene, um, my my mom and uh, stepfather truly, truly, and I, I think you know, being raised by you know uh, parents who grew up in the Depression, my grandparents that, you know, the only thing that they ever knew was if you wanted it, you'd have to do it yourself and have to get it done. The idea of hiring somebody was just out of the question, right? And so my mom and uh, stepfather believed in doing all things themselves. And so when it came time for haircuts, my mother would do it. Well, on straight hair, that makes sense. On curly hair, that does not make sense. And so I did not love getting my hair cut. I mean, my hair combed. I was extremely tender headed, and my mom didn't have the products. She didn't buy products. She didn't know how to do black hair. So it was extremely traumatic. And I remember the day that my mom cut my hair off. I was in the first grade. Up until then, I had um, really long hair, and and I remember being traumatized by it because even though I did not love my hair, the idea of not having it, like she cut it off into an afro. Now, mind you, this is the '70s, so that's you know in fashion, it was trending. It looked horrible on me. Like the shorter my hair is, the bigger the curls are, and then when you brush it not pick it, when you wash it, not condition it, is a hot, hot, steaming mess. And so I had very bad hair years. And right around in high school, I started growing my hair out a little bit longer. Now, mind you, I still don't know how to do my hair, so it ain't cute. And then right before I go to college, I discover, because now I know I'm black. So I go to a black hair salon and this girl saw me coming. When I tell you that woman said, oh, I have the perfect thing for you. You just need to have your hair relaxed. And I was like, all on board, 10 toes down, let's go. I'm going to get my hair and it's going to be permanently straight. This is what I believe in my hair, in my head. And so I spend hours and hours and hours um, in the salon. She does all the chemicals and all the things and she straightens it. And I am cute, honey. I am so cute. And where do I go? 
give that, give that woman all my money. I think I was 19 and give her all the money that I have. And I go to a pool party. Y'all know what's coming. (laughs) Y'all know what's coming. I think I have permanently straight hair. (laughs) Guess what? I do not have. (laughs) I end up jumping in the pool and well, (laughs) we all know what happens. And I learned a very valuable lesson that day. Um, And it was simply that I, I had to figure out a new relationship between me and my hair that I could not continue to either A, hate it or B, cut it off and be in denial about it. I had to figure that part out. It was still probably another year before I um, truly learned how to do it. And that was because another Black woman on campus, college campus, actually intervened. And she said, girl, let me help you. Come to my dorm. And I actually learned how to do my hair. And it was such a blessing. I will never forget that woman. Wow. Wow. Great. So we've talked about some of your white experiences, some black experiences. I'm recalling former President Obama saying there were moments in his life where he just didn't know, you know, he wasn't black enough. He wasn't white enough. And as you said earlier, it just didn't fit in. So how did you sort of navigate through this racial identity of being Italian, white, black, how did you navigate through life up to this point? When I got to USC, I, University of Southern California, I now know that my father is black. I have Malcolm X's autobiography under my arm. I feel like I am fully embraced embracing this idea of being black because at first it was just a sort of shock and I didn't know what that meant and what it would look like and would my family still love me and what does that even mean and on and on. And then I get to University of Southern California's campus and I think all black people are going to just love you. Welcome me with open arms. They're going to be like, oh, sister, we've been waiting for you to come. And I get to campus and that's not my experience. So I joined the Black Student Union. I become a a member of every organization on campus. And it's a PWI, a primarily white uh, institution. But there are, you know, at least six different Black organizations, student organizations on campus. I become a part of all of them. I am fully embraced. Like I, I don't do anything but hang out with Black folks on this primarily white campus. And I think that people are accepting me until I hear the little whispers behind my back. Like who she thinks she is. She knows she ain't really Black. Or watching the women, like when I walk into a room, grab their boyfriend's hand as if, you know, I'm some Jezebel trying to, you know, steal their man or she knows she don't have that kind of experience. She ain't really black. Mm -hmm. 
and she can't fake all that. Like all of those comments and experiences sort of highlighted for me something I didn't even know existed. And that was colorism. And, and that was a difficult way to sort of come to understand that that was very real and present. And I think that for me, I knew that I was identifying as being a black woman. People weren't looking at me in general going like, oh yeah, she's, she's a mixed girl, right? Like that wasn't the, the world wasn't looking at me that way. Like I was no longer being sheltered and pretended to pretending to be white, right? Now I'm out in the world. I got my curls all the way out. I got, you know, black power t-shirts on. Like I am fully immersing myself in black culture and the world is seeing me as such. And ultimately I made the decision that I didn't want to raise my children with that same experience that I had. And so I knew consciously that I was going to marry a black man, that I would not marry a non-black man. And I wanted us to raise our children very Afrocentrically, very conscious of who they were. And, and that is exactly what I did. I am fully embraced be, being a black woman uh, in this world. And to the point where, you know, the joke in my circles, inner circles of friends is that I'm president of the dark skin club. Like I, I do not see myself as light skin, like not even a little bit. It is so weird sometimes when I catch a glimpse of myself or in a picture, you know, some of my other friends, I'm like, huh, like, because I just don't see myself that way. I, um, and, and, you know, and the, the joke is, is, you know, the lighter you are, you know, the blacker your heart, right? Like just the more militant, the more pro-black that you, you know, you're, you're carrying that banner. I think that, you know, there's a little bit more that rides on our shoulders. I love, 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 love being a black woman in the world. I, I I never not wanted to be black. Like I never, I, I have felt sad and sorrow and anguish alongside with every other black person as we watch tragically as we have seen our young folks murdered, um, you know, in the streets and in their beds and, you know, in storefronts. And, and I was at the University of Southern California right after, you know, the Rodney, the Rodney King conclusion of the trial. And so we was there during the uprisings. And, and so there is definitely a sorrow in my heart, but I would never exchange it. I fully, fully embrace it and love so much that what I believe that we have to offer the world is so much greater than the anguish and, you know, the pain and and what we will see and overcome. I think that we will continue to astound ourselves. Right. I'm wondering as I'm listening that I'm wondering if there's a part of you that embrace both and, or is it either or for you? Meaning your white DNA, your black DNA. Yeah, in my life, my experience has been that there isn't this line that we sort of 
walk along. Um, June Cross calls it, you know, the 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 razor blade that you balance on and trying to, you know, figure out how it is that you operate in the world on this, you know, blade without getting cut. Mm. I it's such an interesting question. And maybe it's just this sort of paradoxal, you know, human experience, right? Like I live my life as a black woman. I I don't live my life as a mixed race woman. Like I don't, I, I just, I don't, I don't, while I still have great relationships with some of the members of my family that are still living that are white. Um, there's also, there's also a big challenge there for me because their lived experience is different than my lived experiences. And sometimes, sometimes it's so difficult. I, I have a brother and I love him immensely. And he's got a really, really kind heart. And he's also racist along with the rest of my family. And I think that a, I think that my experience is a little bit the way that I imagine how white folks see Oprah, right? Like she sort of allowed her success because in their heads, they're like, oh, well, she's not really black. Like somehow this idea of, you know, the eighties where we're just going to be colorblind and we're not going to see our differences is sort of the acceptance rule. And I feel like it's a little bit like that with my family. And, and I have, um, I have three children and this experience just happened. So I haven't actually even talked to anybody about this. My youngest is staying at my brother's right now. He had gone to his um, home on the way home from college because my brother is a mechanic and there were things that my son needed fixing on his truck. And my son calls me the other night and he's like, I, I, I need to go. I got to go. I, I can't, I can't stay here anymore. Like I don't and I was like, Kinam, what, what is wrong? What's, what's happening? I could hear that he was really struggling. And he recounts two situations like in the last 12 hours. And he's, you know, been there where my brother and his brother-in-law that are um, there are just using the N-word. Just like, that's just how we get down. Mm-hmm. And my son was like, what, what is, what is happening? Yeah. What's like, do they not see me? Right. right. Like I'm pretty fair, but my children are all darker than me. My son's got locks, right? Like, and my heart hurts so much for him. And my protective mama bear wanted to come out and roar. And that was my experience growing up. It was nothing to hear racial slurs. Yeah. It's, it's as if you don't exist, like you're invisible. And, Mm. and so to, to answer your question, no, I don't, I don't walk around the world saying that I'm a white woman. Like I do when I say that I'm a black woman, I don't, I don't. And there is, 
there's some pretty significant pain that is still, that still resides in my heart for the experiences that I have, have had for the experiences that every black person I know has had for the things that we see on the news, the atrocities that occur on a regular basis, for the ignorance that we see, the intolerance that we see, and watching watching my son experience it from my family, from my brother. like, And my only advice to my son was, I know that it hurts and I'm really sorry. Just let him finish your truck because you can't drive without it. We don't have a lot of options. Let's just not cause a big, huge blow up because guess what? It's not going to change anything. I wish that it would, sweetheart, but it's not. Yeah. So let him fix your truck and then you'll come home and you get to make your choices moving forward. How much that you want to expose yourself, right? You're 19, right? You can, you can make that decision. Yeah. So I guess that that's my answer. My answer is no, I don't identify as being a white woman or half white. That's not where my heart goes. You reminded me of, I'm part of this community, big, huge community. It's called Compassionate Inquiry, where we are, you know, just serving the world as therapists. And there's a big conference in November that I submitted the application to do a workshop with a white guy. And the title is Bringing Attention to Ancestral Trauma. Mm. He's actually, he's Ukrainian. He has all kinds of blood in his, all kinds of blood, right? So this racialized trauma is what we're going to be talking about. An African-American woman and a white guy just having the conversation and hopefully bringing some insight to Ignorance is no excuse for racism. But what I just heard you say about your son, his uncles, your brother, just bringing some insight around that to just remind people, this is trauma. You're traumatizing the, your son. And it's just unacceptable. Yeah, as if, you're not breaking my heart by using right. the N-word around me. And just because you're not calling me the N-word, the moment I leave, you're calling me the N-word. Yes. It's not yes. my face. And yeah. that's what we know, right? We know that what you're saying in front of me is far less than the words that you're uttering, well, not in my presence. Yes. That that becomes so dehumanizing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this time is moving really fast. I do have one other question, if I may, please. Yes. I read somewhere that you said that sometimes separation is needed to process and embrace your, I believe you said new identity. Yeah. Yeah. Separation. I have my spin on it, but I want to hear yours first. I believe that there's this idea that we sort of have to plow through life and things 
But my belief is, is that it is all of our responsibility to get quiet and to get become very, very clear about who it is that we are and how it is that we're showing up in the world, what our gifts are, what our responsibilities are to those around us. And I believe that we do that through getting quiet and centered and that alone time and that we heal not from external sources. Mm -hmm. We heal from the inside out, going back to what we talked about health. Health happens from the inside out. It is not an outside in approach. We cannot imagine that we're going to heal emotionally from the outside in, that we have to get quiet, that we have to separate ourselves, that we have to be still, we have to hear our own voice, we have to find the places in ourselves Mm -hmm. that are still hurting, and then journey through being able to find the resources needed to heal those wounds. And ultimately, that's why I wrote the book. I wrote the book, not because I needed to, right? Or I should say, I wrote the book because I needed to. I published it because I believe that our stories connect us. And my true one hope is, is that my story and my willingness to be vulnerable and share all the ugly parts Mm. helps connect other people to their own stories. And gives them permission and guidance to heal the parts of them that are still hurting. Yeah. Yes. That's exactly what I would have said. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's why we're best. Just to paraphrase what you said, to paraphrase it from my perspective is that separation is taking 100% responsibility for what's inside of me, as opposed to focusing on those external forces and people and blaming and shaming them, taking my eyes off of Diana, state this is about me, right? It's about me. So it's not so much about the other people, even though, you know, they may have done or said something to act activate me, but it's my healing. I'm responsible for me. Nobody else can do this for me. So all that pain and that hurt and those malicious words, the irritation, the anxiety, the grief, whatever, it's just opportunities for us to grow, right? Amen. Amen. And deeper. And honestly, as awful as it sounds, our family members are the ones who will push us deeper into our real self. Yeah. They are the closest to us. They hurt us the most. And that's where the healing lies. You know, it happens right there in those tender spaces where we're like irritated. I don't want to be around you anymore. But everything is to help us grow. Everything. So is there something else that you would like to share that I haven't asked you? Is there something you would like to share I haven't asked you about? Uh, I think we've had such an amazing conversation. I absolutely love it. we could probably talk for another three days and maybe not cover everything, but I, I do truly want to thank you. I love this conversation. I love 
that there are opportunities to discuss bigger concepts around grief and how that it affects us on a very real basis, a very real intimate level. And, And the fact that you do it with such kindness and compassion, kudos to you. Absolutely beautiful spirit. I think that you are doing amazing things and I'm certainly glad to be part of this conversation. Yeah, thank you for saying yes. And just for sharing that little point that grief is not always about death of a person. It can be the death of your soul and your spirit based on racialized trauma. That can be very traumatic. So thank you so much. Uh, We will definitely put your information out so that people can just, just explore and pick up a copy of the book and I'm hoping, hey, let's just commit right now to do a part two at some point in our yes, life. Ma'am. I would yes, love ma'am. to continue this conversation. Absolutely. So, so to my listeners, thank you for listening. And just remember to keep on growing. Growth never stops growing and neither should you. I'll see you same time next week. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Growing Through Grief and being part of this loving community of women. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share and spread the word. Let's help all women become richer and more nourished in their heart so that they're able to just keep on rising. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or topic ideas, or you would like to be a guest on my show, you can reach me directly at coachingtotheheart.org. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode. In the meantime, keep on growing.